0: Welcome to Scholastic Reads, our podcast about books, authors, and the joy and power of reading. I'm your host, Suzanne McCabe, editor at large at Scholastic. Thank you for joining us. Every September, we celebrate banned books. These are the stories that are so powerful and so transformative that some people think others shouldn't be able to read them. Efforts to ban or censor books may be done with good intentions, but they end up limiting access to diverse, often marginalized voices and deprive readers of important historical information. My guest today, author Amy Sarag King, takes on censorship and intolerance in Attack of the Black Rectangles, her new novel for middle graders. The book is based on an experience Amy had in her Pennsylvania town. After her son came home from school with a novel about the Holocaust, in which certain passages had been blacked out, Amy sought to find out why. What followed may surprise you. Amy is also the award-winning author of The Year We Fell From Space, me and Marvin Gardens, and several other acclaimed titles for young readers. Here is Amy Sarag King. Hi, Amy. Welcome to the program.
1: Hi, Suzanne. It's really nice to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: I would love for you to tell our listeners a little bit about Attack of the Black Rectangles, your new novel for middle graders.
1: Attack of the Black Rectangles is about Mac Delaney, who is facing a lot of different stuff in the sixth grade. He's facing kind of stuff at home that he's kind of already put black rectangles over. Um, but then when he arrives in his sixth grade classroom and they are given The Devil's Arithmetic by Jane Yolen to read, he and his friends discover black rectangles over some of the words, meaning someone has sharpied them out. And so he moves forward along with his friends, Dennis and Marcy, to see if they can find a solution to the problem that's been presented to them inside the book, which is, what are these words and why did someone cross them out? And is that okay? Uh, I think those are the questions, I guess, that they really explore. At the same time at home, he's dealing with, with other stuff. We'll just say that and we'll maybe dive into that later.
0: Okay, so the book they're reading is The Devil's Arithmetic by Jane Yolen. It's about the Holocaust. And the words that are black-rectangled out have to do with the human anatomy rather than a discussion of the actual Holocaust, which seems counterintuitive. That's a good word. Yeah, counterintuitive.
1: It also seems it's quite a distraction for a town like this one that has such, where the book is set, I mean, that has such strict rules about press codes and, and other things And uses the word distraction as a reason for that. I find it amazing that in the middle of a very harrowing, very educational and very age appropriate scene of the Holocaust would be interrupted with this large black distraction that not only takes away from the reader every true word of the scene, but also gives the reader something else to think about in the middle of a scene where they really should only be thinking about the journey of the character inside of the book.
0: Could you read an excerpt of Attack the Black Rectangles for us?
1: I certainly will, Suzanne. I'm going to start right in the beginning to give you an overview, which I think this prologue does. The adults around here. And then there's a quote under that. And it says, I am here to protect all of us from the ugly world, Laura Samuel said. According to a lot of the adults in our town, everything here is perfect. We don't have accidents, we don't have any crime at all, we don't have Halloween anymore, or junk food, and we don't have bad thoughts. We don't use any bad words like cancer or death or sex or donut. A lot of people thank Ms. Laura Samuel Set for this. She's as famous as a person can get in our town, and probably the only reason the local newspaper is still in print. Everyone reads her letters there. Ms. Set is also a sixth grade teacher but the adults around here are her students as much as kids like me who pass through her classroom at Independence North Elementary School. Those adults join Ms. Set in letter writing, sitting on the town council and committees, and making rule after rule after rule. They seem to believe that rules equal safety. By making more rules, they are keeping us all safe and keeping the town's reputation spotless. Ms. Set thinks that if we even think about bad things, Our whole town could fall right into the toilet of the world, just like all those other towns, she says. The adults around here don't just keep our town safe from unsavory words and thoughts. They keep our town safe from unsavory people, too. And if we believe what the adults around here say, then unsavory people are anyone who doesn't go to church, anyone who doesn't pledge the flag louder than the person next to them, and anyone who eats junk food. Most of us have to go to the next town over to do our grocery shopping so we can buy Cheetos. My family has ignored the town's silly rules for as long as I can remember. We don't go to church, I don't pledge the flag overly loudly, and we eat a decent amount of junk food. My mom loves Oreos, I love Cheetos, and my granddad is a bona fide candy freak. Ms. Sett wrote a letter to the paper one time about an elderly man who sits on Main Street always eating candy. She asked for him to be removed for his bad example to children. She was talking about granddad. Here's what he did in response. He started bringing me with him. Don't get me wrong. We eat really good homemade food and a lot of fruits and vegetables, and I get a lot of calcium and vitamins and grains and protein and all the other stuff in the food pyramid. There are much worse things in the world than junk food. Mom knows it because she works at a place that helps people grieve the death of their loved ones and helps people with cancer and other terminal illnesses. Granddad knows it because he fought in the Vietnam War. My dad sure knows it because he's always met at something, like every single day. I just think Ms. Seth and the adults around here should mind their own business. I don't think any town is perfect, and I don't think any town is in the toilet of the world. I think life is what life is, and we just have to try our best. Life is what life is, and we just have to try our best. Mac Delaney. For all I'm about to say here, and about her, and for all her weird rules, Ms. Set taught me to stand up for myself, and I'm grateful to her for that. You're probably confused. Yes, Ms. Set is a pain, and thinks we shouldn't eat Cheetos. But also, yes, she was nice to me when I needed it most. No one is ever just one thing, and not everyone is telling the truth that's the closest anyone will ever get to perfect.
0: Oh, thank you so much, Amy. The narrative really sets up how censorship is an attempt to control thought. Control people,
1: control everything. When you take intellectual freedom, that's, that's quite a big step in any society. If we look back through history, people who succeeded at limiting, well, you know, what it's their citizens could read. Never ended well. Suzanne never ended, <laughs> never ended well. I'm sure it ended very well for the people who wanted to control all the people, but it didn't, it didn't end well for the society. And I think America's a young country. I've lived in other countries that are far older. And when I think about what's going on here now, and I think about any idea of this cycle, you know, this back and forth of we're, we're going to take the books. Oh, here's the books. We don't care. Oh, we're going to take the books again. You know, we keep doing this in circles. And it's sort of like oftentimes I hear adults, especially, but kids say it too because they're listening and they're always listening. When is this going to stop? When are we going to move forward? When is this going to be a place for everybody? And the answer is not until this cycle stops. We have to move forward and face truths and accept them and just move forward to make new history it seems kind of impossible while we're always seemingly moving backward when it comes to taking rights away f- from people you know and including obviously in this book uh,
0: the right to read so this book is a work of fiction but i understand it was based on something that happened in your town is that right
1: that is correct yeah my my son came home in 5th grade and he said from the bottom of the steps there's some words crossed out on my book. And I said, oh, is it pen or pencil? You know, somebody was just being silly. That's what I thought, because I mean, I'm a big innocent, I guess. I always just trust. And he said, no, it's in Sharpie. And we compared and everybody has the same words crossed out. And I said, bring that book to me right now. And then this is what I saw just so that you can see it for your sake. Two chunks of the book blacked out completely. And then I went onto Facebook and found out what the, you know, I knew what the book was, but I found out what the words were. And That was a very interesting Facebook thread. It still lives. It still lives on my Facebook (laughs) wall. And it came up as a memory recently. Oh, well, that's an interesting thing to pop up. But yeah, it is what happened. And my journey to trying to fix it. And I mean immediately it was a fix, meaning a complaint, I or instead of a complaint. So I, I went to fix it by offering a class set of the same books, uncensored, and offered to remove the censored books and pulp them at my local independent bookstore or through my my bookstore. And everyone just kept being like, oh, you're so silly. Like, why would you think of this? Like, oh, you only care about this because you're an author. And I'm like, no, no. (laughs) And so I never got anywhere. And I guess I wrote the book because I wanted to get somewhere.
0: I wanted to see a different outcome. I'm curious what you're expecting to hear from readers, especially in your area. It was a brave thing to do. Well, until you said that to me, Suzanne, I hadn't thought about that. Um, let's
1: see. You know, telling the truth is always a brave thing to do. And it's the one thing that I, I I, do in my books. And so it doesn't seem that different to me. The teacher in the book, Laura Samuel said, is an absolute caricature of, of you know, and really an amalgam of a lot of different types of people that we're seeing, you know, moving around at the moment at school board meetings and whatnot but not at all the actual teacher whom I respect very much. I don't know. I mean, it takes, I don't want to say it takes quite a bit to shake me, but at this point in my life, it takes quite a bit to shake me. My mind can't be changed. It's very simple. Like, I mean, we live in America. It goes like this. If you don't like the book, put it down. If you don't like the TV show, change the channel. That's how I was always taught. I remember learning about this stuff early on with the FCC, I suppose, and radio and how there were some, we call them, we called them shock jocks, I think, back then. And And people were trying to get them in trouble or get them off the air. And it was just as simple as changing station. (laughs) Just change the station. There's plenty of radio stations I wouldn't listen to. Same as there's plenty of channels on the television I wouldn't watch. It's that simple. Going to one that you know is going to upset you and then complaining about it seems like a strange thing to do in a country that has such a strong history in the freedom to do, believe, read, listen to anything you want. So I don't, I don't know what the response would be like, but if anybody comes at me, I I suppose I'll usually, I'll do what I always do. I'll throw logic
0: and rationality back. Could you talk a little bit about the words that were sharpied out in the book?
1: The placement was interesting. The first one is the more shocking uh, of, of the two. So first of all, a little background on The Devil's Arithmetic by Jane Yolen, which is an unbelievably good novel. Perfect. For this age group to either revisit or learn about the Holocaust, it's not a historic an historical novel. Uh, it's it's a time travel novel, so it is kind of historical in that way. But the young woman who travels back is about I think she's twelve right now. It just slipped my mind. But anyway, she travels. Suddenly, she finds herself in a village, and eventually, a village that's being taken. They're on boxcars. They end up at a concentration camp, and She has full knowledge of the Holocaust, of course, because she's come from the future. And so she is with these other 12-year-old or young teenage girls. And she's, well, very rightfully terrified, very rightfully worn down the way that it really gives the the reader a sense of what it was like to still be trusting in a way when they got on those trains. But the, the specific scene where the first black rectangle, we'll say, shows up in the book is... A scene where the girls are asked to go to the shower. Now, of course, our main character knows what can happen in the showers in concentration camps. The rest of the people don't. The reader is along with her, though, right? So her fear transfers to us. It's brilliant. Anyway, they're in the middle of this shower scene. They have been asked to disrobe completely. All of their clothes are elsewhere. They are naked. They are naked 12-year-old girls. And there are soldiers all around them, speaking German, screaming, yelling, schnell, schnell. That, of course, means quickly, quickly in German. And so she's terrified. She thinks she's going to die. She thinks everyone else is going to die. This is really heavy stuff. And then the water comes on. And so, you know, you don't even get to feel the relief of, oh, the water comes on. You just have her quickly go, oh, and everybody drinks the water because, of course, they're thirsty and starving and they drink the water. So, again, you're in a really harrowing scene, one of the most harrowing, but not, again, not age inappropriate, absolutely just so written so well and then the water goes off almost immediately and the girls are kind of a little bit wet they're cold and they're still naked and these grown men these soldiers are screaming you know schnell schnell at them and so our main character covers her breasts and walks away um and actually i I probably have the exact line right here um it says head down that's it covering her breasts, I think is the actual term or the actual phrase. Um, Hannah walked through the line of soldiers remembering how childish she'd thought the blue dress and longing for it. So it really is a, such a strange thing to call attention to in, in such a such an incredibly educational and important scene in the book that it would be breasts. And these are sixth graders or fifth grade. And it doesn't matter. Everybody knows what breasts are by fifth and sixth grade. Um, and in fact, many girls have them <laughs> by that age. And it just seemed like a strange thing. And then the, the, the second part that they'd crossed out was actually almost even more bizarre in its, in its crossing out because there was no bad word, if you want to consider a, an anatomical word, a bad word, which it is not. But this was, uh, she motioned to her undevelop- or her own undeveloped chest. So she was basically trying to explain to someone that she looks a little bit younger because she hasn't quite developed yet. And that entire sentence was, was crossed out. So that's the type of censorship it was. It seemed silly, I'll be honest. In such an important and heavy topic, it seemed very silly to care about breasts. I, I honestly feel that it reflects a real kind of It reflects a naive and naive about children, which I wouldn't expect from a teacher, but also a complete underestimation of the children in the room. Like if anyone was going to, was, was it the boys giggling that was the problem? If so, model how not to giggle during a really harrowing Holocaust scene. And if the girls were to feel uncomfortable, there's nothing to feel uncomfortable about. What kind of world are we raising 51% of our population, and if they're embarrassed or freaked out by the word breast when they are in fact growing them, I I found it I found it to be really strange, especially with the media that young people see these days, and so sexualized, so heavily sexualized that to take a body part during a scene like this and sexualize it, which is what you're doing if you're crossing it out, right, was really quite a quite a feat in thinking. Let's put it that way. (laughs) Quite a feat
0: quite a leap. What would you like to say to our listeners about protecting students' rights to read books in their entirety? I think that
1: at the moment we need to, well, I mean, you go back to the, you go down to the foundation, you make sure that people understand they need to vote. We go back to making sure they know that they vote in local elections. We start to understand, we start to educate so that people can understand that those elections equal their child's education and and to really understand that these things are important and i'd say the biggest thing to really think about right now no matter how you vote no matter you know any of those things is that this is a freedom and you have a freedom to not do a thing as much as you have a freedom to do a thing we've had opt-out policies in our schools for years they have worked perfectly seamlessly but go back to your original question. So I think that we have to think about making sure people understand voting, making sure people understand what writing to your school board, or if you can, going to your school board meetings means right now. There is a very large, not very large, actually, it's it's not that large. It's just loud movement that is very organized. And they're coming in and, and trying to remove books. They're specifically removing books that have lgbtq characters or writers and also and and it quite a rise in this actually suzanne in books about black history black hair even books with just black characters sometimes books with secondary characters who happen to be black that are struck that are on these lists that are trying to get struck you know pulled from the library and i think it's it's really time to be able to be the voice of reason in these places, whether it be in school board meetings and letters to that school board to be able to say, I don't stand for racism and, and homophobia. And, you know, we need to understand, I suppose, that when we say we were protecting students, that students is a plural. Uh, we go back to basic grammar, right? It's a plural. So if you're going to protect students, well, then you should protect my child. You, you should protect every child. And so why do you think removing, I know there was one place just across the river in Central York School District, they removed, uh, they went so far as to remove very young, early reader biographies of Sonia Sotomayor and, and other kind of heroes that are people of color. Who is that serving? Who is that serving? It doesn't make any sense. And this is a school district that has quite a number of students of color I don't understand where these things are coming from, but yet I do, because they're coming from lists and a very organized group of people. And so we need to be able to, we need to be able to start having conversations. So at the moment, the best thing you can do is make your voice heard. And I think young people, it's about time. That's actually what, what reversed the ban down in Central York School District, was young people, the seniors, unbelievable group of students who protested and said, no, we want our books back. We don't want to be erased. We don't want our friends to be erased. And this is wrong. And once that happened, it got reversed pretty quickly. So I think that support, you know, supporting your students, doing whatever they whatever they need to do and educating where they might be able to find resources to know how to fight these things is a good thing. I think it's all a good thing. We have to we have to always ask young people to use their voices because where else do we learn it? We learn to use our voices when we're young. They don't just suddenly show up when we're 18. These amount of people, the amount of people who think that 18 is like a magical age. 18 is a mess. The same as 19 and 25 and 42. Come on. None of us have it all together all the time. And anybody who says so is lying. And so this idea that we suddenly become fully formed people at 18 is, is, um, completely ridiculous. But to think that we're so naive at 12 that we can't see the word breast is equally as ridiculous. So it's, it's, we're just seem to be in a really interesting spot. I don't know, but ha- how to, how to fight it, fight it. That's the only way to do it is to fight it. Speak up.
0: Thank you so much, Amy. Thank you for raising your voice and speaking your mind. We're all the better for it.
1: Well, thanks so much, Suzanne. I appreciate it. Anybody who wants to join in, it's welcome. <laughs> it's very easy to find your school board address <laughs> and it's pretty easy to, to get in there and get five minutes to talk, so. The more, the merrier in this fight. The more, the merrier. Books are important. They change lives. They open minds.
0: My great thanks again to author Amy Sarah King for joining me today. And thank you for listening. To learn more about Attack of the Black Rectangles and for information about Banned Books Week, check the show notes or go to scholastic.com slash podcast. Special thanks to producer Bridget Benjamin, associate producer Constance Gibbs, sound engineer Daniel Jordan, and music composer Lucas Elliott Eberl. I'm Suzanne McCabe. We look forward to sharing more Scholastic Reads next time.